GM friends, welcome to another session of the Crypto Corner brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Alex Decay, but you can call me Decay for short. And so today I'm joined by Aaron Beierschmidt and Shridi Mupidi, and we're going to actually get into the weeds of Web3 game development chain choice, um, aka how to pick a chain to build on if you're a Web3 game developer. Um, this is a conversation I'm really excited to host because I actually see chain choice as being kind of tantamount to picking an engine in standard Web2 games. And it's also been an incredibly exciting past few days for crypto and blockchains. Um, uh, on the day of recording this podcast, uh, two days ago, Binance basically issued an LOI to, to buy FTX and Yesterday, they rescinded that LOI. Um, and so it's just would be, it's going to be an interesting time and interesting question in terms of how this affects all the people that are going to be developing on chains like Solana and the EVM ecosystem, et cetera. So anyway, welcome to the Metacast, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, and so I guess we'll just ask for a quick, couple of quick introductions. Aaron, I know you've been on the podcast a couple of times, but just remind the audience, um, you know, who you are, what you're building, what chain you're building on, et cetera. Yeah, uh, I'm Aaron Barshman. I'm one of the co-founders of Laguna Games. Um, we are the creators of Crypto Unicorns, a game that launched on Polygon uh, May 5th. So we're coming up on uh, going on eight months of live operations um, and dealing kind of with the madness that is managing a Web3 game and an open economy. And so, uh, yeah, I feel like I've earned some battle scars at this point. <laughs> yeah, from the um, Aaron and I were at the uh, for the audience, we were at the game seven gamer with a three conference um, uh, up in SF the other day. And Aaron gave a great talk on um, managing Web3 live ops, my favorite um my favorite takeaway was that LTV, LTVs can be negative. So that's a true, utter joy, I'm sure, <laughs> coming from the mobile PM space. So, um, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, Shridi? Well, uh, first of all, uh, Alex, thanks for having me over here. Uh, this is, uh, uh, this is I've, I've always been a fan of uh, the podcast when Nico was hosting. And uh, uh, so I'm happy to see this continue. Um, my name is Sridhar Mupri. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of a company called YesNo. We are a Hyderabad, India-based studio. We've been building games for mobile games primarily for about 10, 12 years now. Uh, I think our claim to fame would be big games like Star Trek Trexels. Uh, there was this, you know, Trexels 1 and Trexels 2. We, we worked with a few other IPs like Adventure Time, Kingsman, and Madagascar, and a few others. So we built big monster free-to-play games. That's our background. Uh, lately, we've kind of pivoted into a uh, skill gaming platform and skill gaming you know, IP holder. So we have a large portfolio of skill games, uh, which are primarily people play using real money. Uh, but now, now we're trying to explore if people can play those skill games using crypto. So late, uh, we started working with Solana uh, for a few months now, and we are geotesting our platform. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, well, it will be interesting to get your take um, on what the environment are of of like of Solana is right now. And so, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's too good to it's too good to not talk about. But um, what are people's perspectives? First of all, is everybody okay? Um, what is what are your guys's mental anguish levels? Anybody holding right. any uh, significant amounts of Ethereum or FTT? God forbid that. <laughs> 
thankfully, no, I'm, I'm certainly fine. I do know some people who have definitely been affected by this blow up. Um, so I, my heart definitely goes out to anyone that had funds uh, at FTX, um, certainly anyone that was holding FTT, um, and really anyone that kind of believed in SPF, because it's very clear he's uh, another in a long line of um, people that I don't really think were here for the space um, and, and were very clearly simply trying to monetize it as much as possible. So, um, but yeah, uh, thankfully on, on our end, um, no exposure, which is, which is great. It's good. Uh, same here. Uh, we, uh, we actually quite like it. Uh, you know, things are cheaper uh, to acquire. We were thinking of acquiring quite a bit of soul for our own game. So <laughs> that became even more easier. So we did. Uh, so we, you know, we have no complaints actually. Got it. Yeah, I think it's just, it is really interesting because I think that, um, well, the TLDR, in case the audience doesn't really, hasn't been up to date or doesn't really, um, hasn't really been following too closely, but essentially um, FTX is one of the largest um, centralized exchanges um, and Binance is the largest exchange. Um, And basically what was kind of discovered over the past couple of days is that um, Alameda Research Group, which is a trading firm, that uh, was basically holding a substantial amount of FTT on its balance sheet. And the kind of presumption is that perhaps Alameda was basically using consumer holdings on FTX to actually finance trades. And because they held FTT, which is their discount token, they were getting a lot of kind of maybe insider benefits on trading on FTX. And so basically, finance CZ basically decided that he was going to sell off all his FTT. And then he was like, I'm going to buy this and which would have been technically in the United States. Again, this has nothing to do with FTX US or um, at all. Um, but what would be considered potentially in the in the United States, a um, a question of antitrust, because if you have the two two of the biggest markets um merging essentially together to basically make this, um, you know, this basically completely entire market consolidation. Um, and so it's just very interesting to hear kind of um, what the what the fallout is being essentially like all crypto values have basically plummeted in market caps. So, um, but yes, I guess in that sense, it is a cheaper time to buy. Uh, um, but um, just, it's interesting to hear you guys' It's a great time to take. build. Yeah. Um, any other, any, any predictions for how this will pan out guys? If what is true in that they took out loans against the FTT token, which is a token that they kind of control given they're the ones that issued it. Um, if they were really taking loans out against it, which appears to be the case, uh, especially with Carolyn's whole, you know, we'll buy as much as you want at $22, mm-hmm. which was a hark back to Sam's, I'll buy as much soul as you want at $3 or whatever. And that's why I've never liked Soul, quite frankly. So I'm just going to go ahead and come out there and say that that uh, I don't like any token or chain that's too closely tied to uh, to a big money group. Um, but yeah, if they were taking out loans against FTT, and then obviously as Binance CZ started to dump against that, they begin to get liquidated. They also have to post collateral for it to not get liquidated. And the real horrifying thing, if, if, it, if it ends up being true, is, is if they took customer deposits at FTX and handed them to Alameda, whether it was to backstop liquidations or to allow Alameda to uh, attempt to effectively create yield on top of those deposits. Like it's just a, it's a, it, it, that would be an unmitigated disaster. And the only silver lining I see in it is I hope it is an absolute slap in the face to Gary Gensler, who has spent so much time focused on DeFi, 
where everything is fully on chain and transparent. You can literally look at the code of the smart contracts. And if you look at this year, Celsius, Voyager, FTX, Nexon, like what is the pattern there? Centralized black boxes. There's where you regulate Gensler. Um, and so I hope this is a huge knock on his career. I mean, this level of ineptitude in our regulatory body has now been, I think, uh, very much brought to the forefront. Um, so yeah, you know, it's super sad that that tornado cash developer is in jail right now. That is a huge problem. That is something that I hope upsets people uh, in the space as it should. And who has gone to jail in any of these black box centralized kind of bullshit exchanges that have really defrauded consumers? And that is not possible in DeFi because you can literally with Dune Analytics get proof of funds, right? And so um, again, I, I, my take is and hope for the future is that this really does uh, show us that the SEC has been paying attention to the wrong thing. There is a need for regulation in the space. The fact that SBF was pointing at DeFi and saying, go regulate them is a massive you sure. know, thing where it's like, sure. all right. This guy clearly was not super, um, was not really a, a, a person that we should have put on a pedestal ever, ever. And we clearly put the wrong people on the pedestal, uh, the wrong person on the pedestal here. So go Vitalik. I feel like he's one of the last people <laughs> that we can really point to as somebody who genuinely believes in the space and the future and not, you know, is not sitting here simply trying to monetize it as much as possible. Um, sure. So yeah. good riddance to SBF, and I hope somebody goes to jail uh, on this front for sure. And Gensler, fucking regulate the right thing. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, I love the spicy take. Um, and I guess now that we're, it's a great transition since we believe in Vitalik to start talking about maybe the EVM ecosystem and sort of, again, like the chain choice question. So shifting away from the FTX circus. Um, when we decide to build in Web2, right, um, you know, we're trying to build a game, you know, we ask ourselves a couple questions. We're like, is our game 2D or 3D? Do we know how to code? What languages do we know? Do we like object-based programming? Do we like visual-based programming? What's the graphical fidelity that we're looking for? Um, you know, what platforms do we want to publish on? And then from that, we basically decide, do we want to build an Unreal, Godot, GameMaker, Unity, et cetera? Um, and so I think, you know, after you have to make the same decision in web three, but then after that, you have to decide what chain you build on. Um, and I'm not even sure if the engine choice is related to the chain choice. So I would love to actually know whether or not that's actually something that goes through your guys's minds, but, um, maybe Aaron, you can kind of kick us off sort of what are my general options, right? Um, I know that there's a bunch of, there's L1s, there's L2s, there's roll-ups, right? There's build your own, right? What's the high level, I guess, thinking around how you would go about, you know, surveying the actual menu of chains? Yeah, that's, a, that's a really great way of putting it. Um, I guess at a real high level, top of the funnel, it's do you choose EVM or not? Right. And that kind of is the choice between like Solana and a few other like non EVM chains. Right. And then the entirety of the EVM. So I think that's a first critical choice to make as a developer. One of the reasons we chose the EVM is there's many, many chains that support it. And so the idea hmm. I, I think it's really important to understand as I'm walking through what led us to Polygon, like we also made this choice last year around um, 
August and September of last year, right? So things were very different at that point. It was not very clear that Polygon would kind of be at the forefront of the space. They hadn't kicked off. I mean, Polygon Studios wasn't even a thing yet, right? They had not kicked off a lot of the BD effort that they've had ongoing. Avalanche was much bigger than Polygon. You know, the Binance chain was much bigger than Polygon. Um, so the lay of the land has shifted a lot since kind of we made the choice. But but the first choice was EVM or non-EVM. We went with the EVM. Um, you're going to see a lot of the decisions that I made were based purely around preserving optionality over time and the idea that the space is still very early. We don't mm-hmm. know what's going to win uh, yet. Um, and... You know, I think that you want to try to preserve as much optionality as a developer uh, as you can so you can kind of react and shift with the space as it changes. And that just comes from my perspective, right? I've been paying attention to the space daily since 2017, and um, it has evolved a lot since then. So I would say first choice, EVM, non-EVM. Then you've got, if, if you're going EVM, uh, you've got an enormous number of choices. And Alex, you brought up the idea of like, are you L1? Are you L2? Um, I think that's probably the next layer of choice. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, Ethereum is relatively cheap. It is not super cheap in, in the context of you're still spending multiple dollars for you know even a very simple transaction and probably tens of dollars for a more complicated like breed or evolutionary transaction, depending on how much is actually on chain. So that's a choice that's you know kind of important to make. And I think most developers are choosing more and more to go to L2s, which are usually cheaper and potentially mm-hmm. faster. Um, and that opens up another whole spectrum of things, right? Are you going optimistic? Are you going uh, ZK uh, in terms of your roll-up? Um, and you know most of those right now are still in the earliest stages of getting deployed, right? Even Arbitrum and Optimism still have very heavy centralization even though there's far less risk of uh, funds being completely stolen in those environments, given they ultimately roll uh, down to Ethereum name, uh, you know, mainnet. Um, and then you have choices like Polygon, which are side chains, right? And make certain sacrifices on um, decentralization to provide, you know, cheap and kind of fast transactions. And mm-hmm. then you have like the CZ chain or, or Binance, which, you know, is an EVM chain, but is very, very centralized and very heavily controlled by CZ. So you kind of enter his fiefdom um, uh, is how mm-hmm. I see it. Um, so anyway, I'll kind of pause there. There's a ton of stuff to kind of pick apart. But to me, it's like EVM, non-EVM, L1, L2, and then you have a bunch of choices still within that, you know, within that spectrum. And non-EVM side, you have Solana, you have Mir, um, you know, Mina is supposedly coming out with smart contracts. You have Cardano. I mean, there's a lot of choices that aren't the EVM. Um, right. Right. And so like, I guess heavily biased (laughs) yeah and so then i guess tree like you Uh, you chose not evm can you walk (laughs) us through that process before i do that i would like to ask aaron why he chose an evm Uh, so what was your core uh, thinking behind it Uh, yeah um, evm is the smart contract environment that has been around the longest and so smart contracts against the evm are way more battle tested you have way more interoperability like for example the ox protocol which is one of my favorite projects in the space that i don't think gets nearly enough credit something like 50 percent of token volume every day on ethereum and on polygon um, is using the ox router right to route your liquidity from a swap to a swap and um 
you get all of that battle tested kind of smart contract work um, where you just know billions and billions of dollars of value has been held and has not been exploited. So you get that. And then you just have the tooling available, right? There's a lot of EVM tooling, um, you know, given it's been around uh, longer than many of these other non-EVM environments. Um, so I think you get a lot of advantage there and just deployment tooling. And, you know, you've got infrastructure providers like Infura and Alchemy. You actually have choices, Block Daemon, right? You have a lot of choices where you step out into these more nascent ecosystems. And I, I think the amount of uh, tooling goes down. Um, and the optionality, again, that you have to pick different providers, infrastructure providers, and things goes down. Um, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, of- yeah, uh, I, I agree with you, actually. So those are uh, good points. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I, I would like to take a step back first on why we were building a, a Web3 or a blockchain platform or a game, right? This, uh, uh, we were We were... We wanted to build something sustainable, right? It's uh, we we weren't looking at like, hey, can we just take a free to play game which could work, which works already on a web two world? Uh, can we just make our user participants in it and you know do a bunch of tokens? Uh, that won't have worked because that might not have been sustainable. Uh, you know, it could be, but you know, uh, if if it does work, then why even give anybody a share? We might as well, uh, you know, uh, just do it on our own as a Web2 game, right? So there, there were decisions to be made, but uh, for, for us to be on Web3 was uh, about on our platform, uh, the kind of games we build, which are skill games, uh, we felt like there is a trust deficit. Uh, people don't trust uh, these kind of platforms enough and being on blockchain, everything being transparent, everything you can go to an explorer and view what has happened, who you played against, what is in their wallet. So when we are able to show that information, uh, there's a lot more trust on the platform that you're not playing against a board and so on. Uh, and this also provides liquidity, uh, not liquidity in terms of tokens and coins, but liquidity in terms of matchmaking, uh, you know, because you are playing using crypto. So you are, you know, kind of borderless, right? Uh, kind of unshackles the potential of what is possible. Uh, and then, uh, we were also looking at loyalty. I mean, if I can make my user a participant in my own ecosystem, uh, uh, would that give me an edge over somebody who's doing in uh, this on a Web2 world, right? So some of these uh, uh, were the thoughts which were going through. Uh, that brings me back to, uh, you know, when we talk about a, a Web3 game, there are primarily two aspects, right? There's the collectible aspect of it, uh, crafting collections and so on where the NFTs come in. And then there is the economy, uh, your tokens, you know, which could exist uh, uh, as an SPL token for us or, you know, uh, or, uh, uh, you know, your Ethereum tokens or, you know, you know, if it is another L1 or something else. So um, for us, uh, tokens was our primary way of trying to do this. Uh, and when we were looking at that and the number of transactions which are going to happen, our decision was primarily about we wanted a stable ecosystem. We wanted something which has all the tools, but we also wanted something super fast and something very expensive. So to give you some numbers, uh, on Solana, I could 
probably with the price what it is right now, I could probably do 11 to 12,000 transactions, simple transactions on Solana chain for a dollar. For one dollar, I could probably do 10 to 12,000 transactions. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure on Polygon. I'm assuming that's probably for a dollar, you could probably do 30 transactions or 40. Uh, if it is Binance, it's probably, uh, I don't know, five. So it's, you know, so as a game developer, when I'm trying to evolve my, uh, how, how my users are going to play, uh, the expense of, you know, using a chain, uh, which is that expensive, is just not worth it. So, and then uh, so we wanted something real time too. So uh, something fast was also important. So th th there's really no comparison when you compare Solana with some of the other chains out there. Hmm. So it sounds basically like the kind of game that you're choosing to build, it sounds like you have um, a collectible game um, with a token economy, right? Which not all games might have. They might not, you might not be a collectible game and you also might not have, be issuing um, either semi-variable tokens or in any governance tokens at all. Some games have chosen to do that. But it sounds like basically you went from the game first and you said, hey, like I want to be, I suspect that in my game economy, these this level of transactions will be happening amongst the players. And therefore you chose Solana because you felt that it has the, um, basically the cheapest number of transactions per second, essentially. Is that a good summary or... And also fast, you know, something more response, mm. responsive. And we're, we're building a game, not like, you know, uh, something is going to, uh, you know, go really bad if, you know, the response doesn't come through or, mm. you know, or the chain crashes. Uh, but, uh, you know, the way we looked at it is as long as when it works, it's fast and it's cheap, you know, that that, sh that should be good enough. I see. Yeah. Um, and so I guess there's a couple of, pieces to this um, I, that I heard, right? You know, you're talking a lot about the chain, so the speed, its cost, maybe it's like technical capacity. I heard Aaron talk a lot about kind of the support, um, the developer support, right? So the stability in the ecosystem based on how long it's been around and how many people are developing on it. You know, a, you know, a huge reason for why people develop on Unity is just because there's so many like developer forums and Reddits and everybody's sourcing and um, fixing problems or issues with the with the engine. Um, and so I think that's actually two big themes that I've kind of picked up on is the chain itself in terms of its actual technology technological capabilities, but then also the techno the the support system, other developers that are developing on the chain, the chain itself and, and the resources that it's kind of giving you as developers. Um, any initial reactions to that or any any, you know, how do you for example for the Solana side, how do you perceive the support system, right? Um, the other developers, the Solana I guess, development team themselves. And, uh, you know, to add to that, Aaron also talked about, uh, uh, you know, the value which is already created on those chains, the assets which are already sitting mm. on those chains, primarily on EBM, uh, which could, you know, potentially be accessible to uh, the pla new, new, new products, which are new apps, which have been built on it, right? Mm. Uh, but we are looking at primarily from a user point of view, uh, how do I bring in the next 10 million, next 100 million users uh, to the Web3 world? Uh, Ethereum probably has uh, half a million monthly active uh, wallets right now, right? So it's, yes, there's a lot of, lot of wealth, but there are not a lot of people out there active, right? So uh, from a Web3 
games point of view, we're looking for regular players who don't necessarily have to be crypto aware. Uh, can we onboard them? Can we educate them about crypto? Can we give them, uh, you know, agency? Can we give them control about mm. uh, how, how they can participate and how they can have ownership of that particular platform or game, right? So that, that's how we're looking at it. Uh, and so we don't necessarily need to worry about, oh, are there like, you know, billions worth of assets because that's not who we are going after. We're going after the user base mm-hmm. who are going to bring in the value onto the platform. Now, to the other uh, two points you talked about, which is, uh, you know, the support system. Now, great thing, luckily for us, uh, you know, with FTX and everything which else happened, Solana has been one of the top five chains out there. Uh, and for, you know, for a year or more, they have built insane number of tools and a lot of, there's a very strong community. So there are a lot of tools already there. If uh, some of them which aren't there are already have started supporting them. So, uh, so that way, uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, analytics platforms, in diagnostic platforms, in terms of DEXs, you know, all of that, Infrastructure is already there, and uh, you know, in the technology itself, Rust is like as you know, is like comparatively very, very easy to get on board on. Uh, and uh, and I'm assuming all, all all BD teams are equal, but my our experience with Solana B, uh, BD and the support system has been, uh, you know, uh, awesome. They 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 created a Slack channel. They've been helping us whenever we needed any. But the technology itself was so easy uh, that we didn't really need to, uh, you know, hit them up too much. Got it. Got it. Um, and and for those in the audience that don't know, Rust is the um, coding language that um, Solana is is developed in. Um, and so, yeah, I think that those those points are, are really critical, right? Um, you're talking about the developer tools and the things that come kind of come off the shelf that help you build your game. But um, I guess I would also ask the question of sort of like, what's your been, what's your perspective been on some of the security and outages issues that Solana has experienced over time, right? Um, you know, in 2021, Solana went offline for 18 hours. Um, it's definitely had its fair share of hacks. Um, it's obviously incredibly ambitious in what it wants to do for the Web3 ecosystem, right? With even developing their own mobile phone, right, to skirt um the you know the apple store and the infrastructure that we have to do there um but when it comes to actually being a live game it sounds like you guys are in development correct um are there other people in the ecosystem of solana that are live right now that have been almost derailed by some of these upsets in the chain well uh, uh i i've been through the field wheel of twitter days right uh you know it's uh uh you know, anything new, anything big, uh, you know, and when you're building almost real time, uh, does have issues. Uh, I'm not justifying issues here. Uh, it's just that uh, uh, if you look at uh, their problems, they've progressively co- been coming down. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're building a game. We're not taking ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have built those uh, uh, you know, uh, those wrappers around the system in case there is a uh, there is a problem where the chain doesn't respond. And, you know, that happens in other chains too, right? There's no outage, but sometimes it takes three, four minutes for them to 
you know, uh, respond if a transaction has happened or not, right? Uh, so that's not very different from, say, something being down for like a, an hour. So we, we built those wrappers uh, on the platform, but uh, I think uh, the positives completely outweigh uh, the one or two negatives. As I said, I can potentially do 11,000, 12,000 transactions for every dollar on Solana, which all, no chain out there provides. Of course, there are a couple which are probably free, but uh, they just don't have any any infrastructure around them. Got it. I see. Um, Aaron, it sounds like you're about to... Well, this is probably, I think, where Sridhar and I disagree a bit, right? You said one thing, Sridhar, where you said, we're making a game, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. And that's the piece that if these assets are real, digital assets that people own and control, the only way they have value long-term is if ultimately the store of record, you know, records that value and holds it, keeps it right. And so um, we're obviously a bit further along in terms of being deployed and being live and, you know, have sold and shipped a lot of assets out to players. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I kind of get what you're saying where it's like, well, you know, Solana's building, it's gone down a few times and, you know, things go down. It's like, yeah, you know, Polygon experience has experienced one uh, extended period of downtime since we started building uh, there. You've had like Arbitrum and Optimism experience downtime. Um, Ethereum mainnet hasn't. Um, and I, you know, generally kind of put it up there at the top, um, but it's obviously way more expensive. So the idea is like, you know, yeah, transactions are cheap. I think we chose to be a hybrid, um, which we discussed, right? The idea that uh, there's a lot of off-chain activity and then the really critical pieces are on-chain. So we kind of reduce the amount of um, exposure that our players have to, uh, to the blockchain. Polygon is getting more and more expensive. You know, we're seeing people who will spend, especially for breeding and evolutionary transactions, which are more expensive because they're actually doing more on-chain. Like, again, DNA, the birth of these unicorns is fully on-chain, which is a kind of incredible little thing. Um, but it does cost, right? Um, it'll be tens of cents. You know, it can be as much as 50 cents. If you're really trying to push it through in a high activity period, it's over a dollar. Then again, our assets are 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, right? And so... Um, there's like this fundamental piece where I know a lot of game devs are dipping a toe into Web3. And that's where platforms like Immutable X, which we haven't even talked about yet, may come into play. Where they're like, hey, we're technically a roll-up on top of um, Ethereum, right? And so if you want security and you want cheap and fast, use our platform, use our API. You don't even have to deal with 721. It's just paying an, you know, an API and here's a token. I have questions around whether that's real relative to, to everything else. And that's where like the interoperability, yes, Polygon is a side chain to Ethereum. At least it's checkpointing to a thing that I think we can all point to as like the highest, uh, most decentralized, most trusted chain to exist. Um, since Bitcoin and Bitcoin doesn't have smart contracts. So that's, I guess, where I disagree a bit. But ultimately, I'm calling out my own, um, you know, blind spot, which is I care very deeply about the underlying principles of the space. And we've tried to drive that way. And at the end of the day, gamers may not care. They may not care. And that is a fear that I've had from the beginning. I do think our current community cares. I think we can continue to scale to people who care. And I kind of believe the more and more that, you know, you look at the Solana ecosystem, it's down 50% in the last seven days. The to Not even the token, just there's been this massive 
flight from Solana based on its exposure, the fact that FTX holds a ton of those tokens, the fact that those tokens are about to unlock, as you called out, Alex. Um, so there's scary things. And, and I point this out not to shit on Solana, but more to just indicate to game devs that like you have to look beyond the technicals. You have to look at the economics of a chain. Like, for example, Polygon generates a lot more daily fees than Solana. Like, how will Solana sustain long term on fees alone? What is the inflation schedule of the, to- the tokens? And so as you approach the space, um, you really have to think beyond just pure technical considerations, um, given you're exposed to like the macroeconomic side of things. Or you could be exposed to one asshole at an exchange bringing the entire chain to its knees, right? And so... And the same thing could happen with Polygon. There are open questions around, they have a five of eight multi-sig bridge that if that is ever hacked, the Polygon chain is going to go into the ground. So um, I made similar choices, Sri, where I said things like, you know, players aren't going to care about security nearly as much as somebody holding hundreds of thousands or millions or billions of dollars in value, right? And so anyway, I, I see things differently, but we also made similar choices, I guess what I'm calling out. Yeah, yeah, I mean that totally makes sense. It's just uh, one, the thing I, I think about the thing we we all need to agree is there are different kinds of games and people yes. are building for different kinds of demographics. Uh, most people on Web three are building for whales or super users, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you yourself probably have like maybe ten thousand odd active users. That's it, right? That that's enough for you because that's great. Uh, whereas uh, a platform I'm building, I probably want 10 million odd users. Now, there, technology and economics do play a big part because I I cannot afford to spend three, four cents per transaction when I don't even know if my idea works, right? Uh, You know, so, uh, and and God forbid I'm successful, then I'm in trouble because I picked a chain which is going to, you know, uh, so there, there are uh, the economics and technology are a hu- crucial decision. We all cannot afford to be idealist like you. Uh, we have to be practical. And uh, our decision was purely based on, you know, who's going to provide us the fastest chain and cheapest chain. Mm. Mm. Yeah, for sure. The counter argument there is you could have deployed on Polygon Edge or an Avalanche CNET and had the cheap transactions, the EVM, the tooling, the DeFi space, you would have had to deal with a bridge, right? But again, you know, I'm obviously very anti-Solana and I tried not to come off so anti-Solana. So <laughs> well, I'm not- there are other <laughs> options that would get you that. And then your token would be the token being spent, you know, on transactions. You could literally make it as cheap as you want, right? If you don't care about that, run the, you know, run the validators yourself, that kind of stuff, right? But so I hear you, but I do believe it's a trap to say, oh, I'm driving millions of transactions and other networks can't scale, right? Because, you know, how this proof of history, Solana consensus mechanism, again, I'm very wary of chains that have made promises and in some ways have failed to deliver on those promises. Well, I mean, this is going to probably play out in about three days, uh, so we'll see. Uh, But as I said, uh, I've spent uh, quite a bit of time in Solana offices. I met the founders, uh, spent time with the engineers who've been building this stuff. Amazing folks who care about decentralization, who care about the systems. Yes, you know, 
we all might not agree how they got where they got, but uh, they, they're great folk and uh, they're building uh, a great system, which uh, we have been, uh, you know, we've been very happy with. Yeah. Um, so what's very clear to me is Aaron is a purist and it's unclear. Do you, do you, you don't like Solana, Aaron? Um, <laughs> uh, so, but I think, I think one of the things that you're mentioning is that I'm picking up on is really interesting. And that's such that, um, with the EVM ecosystem, there's almost like all these like little planets that you can mm-hmm. go to if something fails, because the dev environment is the same. So I think like you were saying, you're solving for obviously the idealism of what's on chain and kind of like the the, the crypto purist ideology, but also the security or the, the risk mitigation of being able to leap from in the case that Polygon fails to maybe another um, L2 or another rollup within the EVM ecosystem. Um, yeah, and sure. so like an Arbitrum or something, it would be a right. disaster for Polygon to fail, but um, we have the ability to migrate. Um, right, migrating, right, exactly. And that's, I think I think, different than some of the non-EVMs where you would yeah. have to totally rewrite. But I've had arguments with other guys who've gone, you know, like for example, we're building on top of Stark, where, right? And they're mm-hmm. writing in Cairo, uh, which is obviously not the EVM. Um, and, you know, he kind of made the point and I thought, well, you know, he's right. Smart contracts really aren't a lot of code, especially when you think about like a game engine, right? <laughs> or the amount of code that you would write to run an MMO mm-hmm. server, right? Like the amount of code, actual lines of code is very small. And so his whole yeah. point was like, yeah, you know, Cairo wasn't what we wanted, but, you know, now we're just rewriting in the EVM. They've actually migrated to Polygon, right? So, and I think there will be people who leave the EVM, right, and go go other directions. Um, but yeah, I want to be open about my bias. And at the end of the day, Sridhar could absolutely be right. You know, the vast majority of players, or to his point, certain types of games don't need this, right? They just need incredibly fast transactions. And if ultimately Solana is the winner there, I debate that. I think there's other chains that will provide um, that with higher security guarantees. Um, but ultimately, who knows, right? We don't know. Um, we're still very much in kind of the experimental phase. The call out for all devs is really look holistically at everything when picking a chain. And Alex, you called it out earlier. I do think it's kind of like a, could be a make or break moment. Look at all the developers that we're building in the Terra Luna ecosystem. Absolutely. Up, right. Yep. And we have yet to see the extent to which Solana is tied to FTX and Alameda and, and how drastic that flight, capital flight will be from their chain. Mm-hmm. But if it ends up being as bad as Terra and Luna, you're going to see these refugees. And we've already seen like Derby Stars. Um, Derby Stars is the one that comes top of mind that was on the, you know, on Luna Terra, right? And they migrated to Polygon afterwards. And they did have to do, um, you know, a full rebuild of their contracts to complete that migration and stuff. Um, but the fact that that's even possible is cool and a little bit of a differentiator in terms of the space itself, right? Is, you know, even if you pick wrong, it's not necessarily a disaster. And we've seen several projects, Mm -hmm. gaming projects come out of the Terra Luna collapse in a way that I think, um, you know, they can come back even stronger. Yeah. So, so, so actually tell me a little bit about that, right? Um, you know, I think from the engine world, we think that if you were to switch your gaming engine halfway through development, oh my goodness, it would be like, it would be like project suicide at times, right? Um, how would you, for example, in, um, in the projects that had to shift from, from the Luna and Terra ecosystem, what actually, um, and I guess in the, in the highest level way possible, 
actually has to happen, right? What actually so, happens to migrate to Polygon? Should Should I take that first? Sure. Uh, there, there are two aspects to it: the technology aspect, and then there is the tokens, the currencies. That that one, right? Uh, technology is actually quite easy. You know, it's probably a month work, uh, maybe even less. Uh, but uh, figuring out, uh, you know, if you have assets there, how you're going to migrate there, you know, into an, another one, you know, uh, some of that could, uh, you know, is what could make or break things. Uh, I mean, that's where, uh, you know, uh, most people are thinking about how do we start designing multi-chain architectures uh, uh, just because, you know, uh, because of these kind of issues, if uh, you you chose one chain for whatever reason you chose, but you do want to have a backup, right? So, uh, so, so that way you can coexist and build some sort of peer-to-peer system between your tokens and NFTs and stuff like that. So, uh, but technology is very, very easy. So, moving from chain to chain is not that not that difficult. Got it. So it's the it's actually the economic economic part, the tokens that are hard to to, to shift over, rather than yeah, the code. It depends. Shridhar's right. It depends on do you want interoperability afterwards, right? In the Terra Luna collapse, there wasn't anything to stay with, right? So he's right. Uh, they just had to rewrite their contracts in the EDM and effectively a bridge contract, which would allow you to like burn the token over there in the debt ecosystem and mint the new one over here. Um, EVM to EVM is obviously much easier. You would just pause the contracts, migrate the contracts, and then have people bridge across, um, or just keep the contracts paused on the the original chain, Polygon Proof of Stake, for example, and we're moving to a supernet, and we would have our contracts on the supernet be the ones that activate. Um, Sridhar highlighted something that I want to kind of double click on, which is the idea of like cross chain uh, messaging. That is, I think, the future where you'll pick the best environment to deploy in across the board. Maybe it ends up being Solana and I'll buy Sri uh, beers for the rest of his life. Um, you know, maybe it ends up being near, right? Maybe it ends up being ETH mainnet or Arbitrum or Optimum. It doesn't really matter, right? Um, but I really believe that we'll see cross-chain messaging protocols, whether it's Axlar or the Nomad guys come back, kind of post that hack that occurred or Layer Zero Labs, right? I mean, there's a lot of projects in the space which are bringing cross-chain messaging protocols forward. And that's the, of the perfect world, which is just like, I don't care where you are as a player. Obviously, it's easier from the perspective of the EVM. Um, I haven't seen many that are, that are doing like non-EVM to EVM uh, messaging yet. I'm sure there will eventually be some. Um, that mirror some of the bridges that exist today, like Wormhole. Um, but the idea that I can deploy my contracts, let's say, to a Polygon Supernet or even just an Edge, right, where I kind of control everything, that it's fast, it's cheap, and then I use cross-chain messaging protocols, and suddenly a player can be on Ethereum, and they're communicating with the contract that's on Ethereum that bridges and messages to the contract on the Supernet or the Edge node or whatever um, you know I've deployed, I really see as the future. Because then you don't have to bridge... If you like Avalanche, great, you stay on Avalanche. If you like Arbitrum, you stay on Arbitrum. And 
those have a host of challenges, right? Aligning the chain up and the state of both chains and things. It's an enormously complex technical problem, but I believe that eventually someone will solve it. And then at that point, I have a, I think all the chains will suddenly it's like, well, really, where is the best place to deploy, right? Because everybody will immediately flow to that chain and stop worrying so much about a group of players on Avalanche not being able to touch, you know, our game and things of that nature. So that's probably what I'm watching closest. Um, I care less about Aptos and all these new L1s coming out. Like, give me a break, right? Um, I think we have enough L1s. Um, all the new L2s coming out as well. Um, we'll see. I think the most interesting development is the cross-chain messaging protocols. Um, yeah. That's what every developer wants, you know? That, that said, there's just not enough users, right? Uh, there's just not enough users anywhere to care about them. Right uh, to basically say, hey, I want scale. I mean, you know, what I mean is like, you know, if a, for primarily for a gaming uh, platform or a you know gaming network, right? It's just you know, uh, why would I care about a half a million users on a chain or a hundred thousand users on some other chain when I could potentially bring in three billion users who have no exposure to Web three, right? So uh, I, I think. What, when it becomes important is like what happens two years down the line when there is like a, one more super fast, one more, you know, uh, cheapest or free uh, chain out there, which is, you know, uh, which is blowing it up, right? So, you know, and you want, you want to be there. So having uh, that ability to be able to be flexible enough or your design being flexible enough or tokenomics being flexible enough that it can coexist in multiple chains uh, is something developers probably start thinking about or should start thinking about. But that said, at least immediate future, I think you just prove uh, that uh, what you're trying to build is what your users need, uh, you know, on a chain, which is affordable and then, uh, then uh, you know, scale into other things. Got it. So boiling all of this up, right? Um, essentially, what we're kind of looking for is um, a way. I almost see this kind of similar to, to crossplay. Um, there's crossplay was the all the rage back in like 2018 yeah. when you had the big battle royales coming out, and Sony was like, "No way, you can't. We would never have a player be on our platform and also be able to like commingle with somebody on Switch or somebody on Xbox or somebody on on." steam right and i think this is like a very similar dynamic where you essentially want there to be the cross chain communication potentially between the evm ecosystem and solana right so right now there's not a lot of people that are building maybe those bridges right which is as you mentioned tree like it's because there's not enough users that anybody would basically be able, would, wouldn't subsidize the costs, right, of, of what would be needed taken to do that. But that's sort of how you guys see the ecosystem evolving. And then after that, it will just be like, okay, well, like, which is the most in, um, pleasant environment to develop in, but we don't have to really worry about not being able to access the Avalanche um, users or the Solana users. Is that kind of how you guys see it? Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing is, there are there are there are two aspects to this, right? There is the users themselves and there are the assets, right? Uh, because it's blockchain, the assets are there forever, right? So uh, eventually every game, every platform has a shelf life. Uh, 
uh, and uh, users are going to move on. And the great thing about blockchain or Bitcoin about Web3 games is uh, we are basically telling our users that uh, when you are ready to move on, uh, just sell your assets to somebody who is coming on board onto this platform or exchange it to something else you are going to need, you know, in maybe something, uh, some other game you're picking up, right? So the all the investment in terms of time and value you've created could mean something. Uh, so uh, that, that's where it's interesting. So uh, when we start thinking multiple, multi-chain, uh, we start thinking, hey, can can my design take that into account where I might lose a user on Avalanche or Polygon or Solana somewhere and I'm on a brand new platform, but is there a way where I can at least move the assets over somehow, right? Mm-hmm. So somehow those designs, uh, but, you know, as uh, Aaron said, that, that's it. You know, from an engineer in me is like very excited about that part. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, I, I also feel uh, there's no real need for it for a, a year or two. Um, can I ask a question that I've always been really curious about um, in terms of the network effects, right? So... I, uh, for me, right, um, I've had some, I've played Axie Infinity before, right? And when I'm trying to trade or execute a transaction um, in a very crowded network, that's really expensive to me, right? And so how do you guys think about the clogging up of the network um, versus the fact that there is a network there and that means that the ecosystem is likely to be supported because it's worth the time and effort from the central developers that are making that chain, right? So it's in a sense, I almost see it as a double-edged sword, you know, like a chain with a high development community would ostensibly have a large player community, but a large player community would drive transaction volume. That transaction volume would spike gas fees depending on where you are, right? And then you kind of go in this little circle and then you'd be like, well, like it's actually like less efficient for me to be here because this is too expensive. And then you'd go somewhere else. And so how do you guys sort of like, you know, the business case of more users is almost backfiring. Um, in some extent. Yeah, I mean, so how just, do you guys think about that? How do you we start just, off where it's already cheap on, you know, inexpensive to be in on? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, start somewhere where it's is, already cheap. This is where, you know, Shree's like, all right, here, here is the case for Solana. If that chain <laughs> survives, right, and, you know, like stays up. Um, we're experiencing this very directly with Polygon right now. You know, yes, Reddit just spun up millions of wallets. Uh, yeah, Meta yeah. is going to spin up millions of wallets. That has increased the uh, price of gas. Um, on the network. And that does directly affect us, right? And so again, the choice we made early on to be hybrid, there's a lot of off-chain activity that transitions on-chain only when there's like a big thing. I'm withdrawing currency, I'm doing a breed, I'm doing an evolution, right? So the gameplay experience is not directly affected for everyone. Um, But again, it's why we chose Polygon. Polygon is Cosmos SDK. It is interoperability and app chain kind of centric from the beginning. And so the option to run our own uh, app chain to uh, move or migrate to a supernet, that's how we're probably thinking about it over the midterm in terms of getting to a space where we're not suffering from that. Um, Suffering from that. Obviously, again, you know, Solana is a chain that is fast and cheap. Right. And so you're not experiencing this at all. Right, Shri? I mean, even in network spikes of activity, the cost is still very, very, very low. It, 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 it all depends upon the smart contracts themselves. Right. The simple transactions, as I said, is as low as 12,000 transactions per, per dollar. 
right? That's nobody provides that right now, right? That's incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah you you do more complex one. It's a little bit more expensive. You if you are paying the gas fee on uh, on behalf of your users because you don't want your users to uh, know any of that stuff, then that's like two signatures. So uh, you know that half the transaction. So you know it's it's all about those decisions you make. Uh, but still, you know, as I said, there's no comparison when we are talking about 10,000 versus 30, right? Uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, there, there are aspects I do want to talk about, Alex, and Aaron, is uh, I don't think we covered the financial aspects of, uh, uh, you know, uh, making a decision when we, uh, when we pick a chain, right? One of the uh, biggest decisions I think developers need to look at is uh, the cost factor. Uh, can a chain uh, help you subsidize? Because uh, we, you know, we, we are a pretty big, uh, you know, gaming studio. And when, like, say, uh, Microsoft, uh, Azure approaches us, they're like, hey, we're going to give you $100,000 cloud credit. Uh, yeah. Please move from AWS to us, or Google does the same, or somebody else does the same. Yes, they do. Uh, do, do chains... Uh, do that, right? Do they mm -hmm. provide you sort of chain credits, on-chain credits, so that, you know, uh, your expenses on that chain get subsidized for X number of wallets? Have you have you seen this, Aaron? Uh, do you think that should be a norm for future chains? I mean, it's a great acquisition tool for developers, I mean, of developers, right? Uh, so Polygon Supernets, right, they are going to be incentivizing those chains, right, with Matic. So they're kind of doing that um, in a way. Obviously, every chain had a fund and was funding. I don't think many are funding right now in the current market. Um, but no, I agree. I think you need to incentivize network activity on your chain and games have a really, I think, powerful uh, opportunity to bring a lot of network activity, value assets to a chain. And so, yeah, whether it's the Supernets ploy or like Avalanche CNets, right, or whatever they call it, um, I forget. There's too many terms that are basically the same thing in the space, right? Um yeah, there's phenomenal opportunity to do that. Um, and I like that DeFi has kind of come and gone in terms of being hot. And there seems to be this consensus now that games have real potential to bring uh, value and activity to chains. Um, I think Sridhar uh, and I are definitely coming at this from different angles. I'm like very crypto focused on crypto natives, very high LTV players. And then obviously positioning ourselves to be the arcade in the metaverse where as more and more people on board, they come in, right, to the bright, shiny Chuck E. Cheese in the metaverse, right? And Shree has this potential to bring like a ton of players tomorrow, given the scale of kind of the games and things that they build. And so it's going to be very interesting, right, to see. I've kind of rejected the notion that... I feel investors have pressed upon game entrepreneurs in the space, which is it's our responsibility to bring a bunch of people in. I tend to think, and again, this is where my bias is in the space, that more and more people do naturally continue to onboard into this space. Like my grandma is a great example. She is now fully familiar with MetaMask self-custody and can submit these transactions and do this stuff. And here's this 70-year-old uh woman in Texas who's figured it out and she figured it out because she loves unicorns. And every time she hatches, you know, an egg, it's a big event. Right. Um, 
So it's going to be interesting to see because I don't have an answer for how do we bring a billion people in, right? Mm-hmm. Sridhar is building a game that could scale to that level. And he's absolutely right. Solana is probably the only place currently outside of an app chain um, that he controls the place to do that. Um, but yeah, it is different. You know, it is different. Of course, we were building Forex strategy games prior, right? Where I could take 100,000 down to a billion a year in revenue, right? And so our bias is for sure around, hey, crypto natives that care, that are over the hump, um, that are very high LTV for sure. And then the question is, how far can we scale in crypto natives? I mean, obviously, at like 3K DAO, we have a long way to go, um, just scaling there. Um, and then, of course, I you know I hope we're kind of like pre that AOL moment in the crypto space. I really think we still are. And when millions and tens of millions of people on board, like where are they going to go? I think they're going to go to the games that are established and kind of most successful. So that's very much just trying to open up on like our strategy because you have to have a strategic focus. You've got to pick something in this space. That's the takeaway, like pick a chain at the end of the day. Um, But they're different angles, different angles of attack. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is... uh, you know, where, where you guys, uh, most Web3 developers also come from is they're very community focused. They, uh, the user base is uh, very important. We, we are very uh, product focused, uh, you know, which what that means is, uh, you know, we, we, we choke down a, like a, a ton of users through a funnel and there's a product you know, uh, you know, we, we see them through different steps and see where they're dropping off. You know, there's, there's it's a very product one uh, thing we do. Uh, you know, some survive, some don't. And then we, we figure out why they aren't playing. And then we put them through A-B testing, you know, the usual stuff, right? So we come from that Web2 world where uh, community is important, but that comes from user base, from people who have already started playing and have become fans over a period of time. Not necessarily they were fans of the platform even before you had a platform, just because they thought they could make a ton of money on you, right? So we we, we still are, we bring in that Web2 uh, traditional sustainable design. And then, you know, so the, that also means we get to bring in a lot of users and expose them to Web3 world. And hopefully some of them are going to stick around and move on to other platforms. Got it. So it sounds essentially like the kind of game that you're building and the kind of audience that you're targeting is a really big, um, I guess it's, it's it's a predicator for kind of what chain you end up choosing. And I love the comment around um, the the kickbacks or the financial incentives. I um, ran governance for the Activision Blizzard King Google Cloud deal. And so I'm very familiar with being incentivized to migrate to either from Deddy servers to another cloud-based um, ecosystem, right? And I think that that's a huge factor in terms of evaluating how you uh, build your game because it affects your PL so directly, right? Um, and so, you know, I want to sort of, we're, we're moving towards, towards the end of time and I want to ask sort of like one more question, right? You guys both chose to build on chains that already existed. What would be your advice to a Web3 developer that's thinking, ah, no, I'll build my own proprietary chain either at the L1 level or maybe within the EVM ecosystem, maybe building something like Ronin, right? When would you say that's something that's appropriate, right? Versus basically kind of already going with a off-the-shelf chain that already exists as our final question for for today. 
Aaron, you want to go first? Sure. I was very interested in the application-specific sidechain route, which is effectively what Ronin is, right? There's options to do that. Like Ronin, you can do it uh, via Polygon's Edge product. You can do it very easily in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, Then, of course, Ronin got hacked, and the U.S. Treasury Department says, hey, this is the Lazarus group, right, the North Korean hacker group. And, like, at the end of the day, why do I, as a game developer, want to be responsible for fending off state level actors, right? And that Mm. level of security um, at an infrastructure level, the validator security, even though yes, Sky Mavis, I think made several kind of silly mistakes in how they secured their system for sure, based on the reports that have come out. It's still like, why take that on as a game developer? It is hard enough to build and ship a successful, scalable game experience. We have now seen it is exponentially more difficult to manage an open economy than it is a closed command and control economy. Like, why take on the extra hassle? Um, so, yeah, the only thing I, you know, you maybe consider is like a Polygon Supernet where they're going to help you with the cold start problem by incentivizing the validator set. You're not managing the validators yourselves or managing all of them yourselves. You know, maybe you're one out of 10. Um, that, to me, is the only, like, solution that I've seen in the space. Um, but, yeah, I would very much discourage trying to build certainly your own uh, L1 when there are many, many choices um, that are perfectly fine today. <laughs> I I totally agree. Uh, it's it's like uh, you know we we wanting to go back to pre cloud uh, days, right? I mean, now all of us are on AWS or Azure or somewhere else. Uh, imagine running our own servers and you know <laughs> rack systems and all of that. Who wants or blade servers? Who wants to deal with all that, right? It's uh, it's it's uh, it's what is your strength? Your strength is building a great game, great design, and you know, understanding your user base and all that. Uh, but, you know, there is this other side of how a blockchain works, how the infrastructure around it, the on-ramping, off-ramping solutions, the tooling you need. If you want to get into that, then, you know, unless you have a long, longer vision, like if you want to build an immutable X, right? So something like that, you know, you want to build a platform or a, a blockchain for other game developers, maybe it mm. makes sense. But for just for one game, not worth it unless you have a billion dollar property, right? Uh, and you are bringing in that billion dollar property uh, onto onto Web three, then it totally makes sense. You know why even share anything to anybody, right? You might as well create all that value on your chain and then bring in others onto it. So that makes sense. But if you are a new developer and you are going to experiment, go with somebody who's inexpensive, uh, learn from it, and then you know keep building. Awesome. Well, guys, this was this well first great final parting piece of advice. I think that's been that'll give a lot of guidance to to, to Web three developers that are either in the beginning of their journey um, or maybe maybe cause some questions for those that have started building their own chain um, and maybe they'll uh, take your guys' advice. But um, this was a, such an absolutely fantastic discussion. Um, thank you both of you um, for, for sharing your, your thoughts and journeys on choosing whichever chain you decided to build on. Um, What we'll do is, um, you know, how can people get in touch with you in case that they're, um, I guess, uh, passionate maybe about building um, web three products. I can, uh, you know, we often ask, you know, you know, if there's any talent out there that's interested in, in supporting these systems, how they can reach out. 
for me, uh, Sridhar Mopri on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm more active on LinkedIn than Twitter. Uh, so yeah, uh, you can reach out or you know you can email me at Sridhar at uh, yesnome.com. And I am a bear Schmidt on Twitter, and that's probably the easiest way to reach me at this time. It's such a fitting uh, name that I didn't really intend to match with the bear market of this year. <laughs> for now. So yeah, that's that's where to reach me. Obviously, we have a rock and discord. So feel free to join the crypto unicorns discord. Um, about 35,000 super active people on there having fun. So uh, I always encourage people to uh, reach out to me there as well. All right. Awesome. Sweet guys. Thank you guys so much. Um, and that's, uh, that's all for today on the on the Metacast. We'll see you again in, in two weeks.